Welcome to the Porsche Club Insider, your one stop for all things Porsche and PCA. Here's your host, Vu Gwyn, and the Insider Crew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 96. This is our first podcast actually being recorded in the new year. Uh, we have around the table, of course, we have Manny Albin. Damon Lowney, we have Robert Forsyth at the controls, and we have a very dear, dear friend uh, sitting at the corner here, Mike Levitas, owner of TPC Racing. Before we get started, I've got a long list of how to introduce you. I mean, Rolex winner, you were in the IMSA Supercar Series in the 80s and 90s, um, Grand Am, Rolex, it goes on and on. Motorola Driver, Cup. Motorola, Motorola Cup. A PCA <laughs> club racer, PCA DE year. And it Engineer. Goes, goes on and on and on. You're like yeah. the poster child for PCA. Man, Phil. <laughs> You're what I wish I I'm could getting be. a little nervous. <laughs> I, think, I, I was thinking back, when, when did I first meet Mike? And I think it was at Driver's Ed. Because Mike was one of those guys that everyone knew on the paddock. And if you had a problem, they would say, go see that guy over there. And I think I had something, a question about my 964. So I walked over to Mike and, and he was very gracious and answered the question. I think he might have come over, looked at the car or whatnot. Uh, but he had a wicked fast 964 that he put a turbo on. The orange crush. The orange, uh, was, was I don't green. know if it was orange it was back green. then. Yeah. It was I was going to say, time, yeah. Manny. it was, uh, um, uh, I remember you were always fixing it, working on it. Uh, but when it was running, oh my God, it was just, uh, I think it was a single turbo back then. It was a single yeah, turbo, Manny. But- and, and actually, that car was really got me. It was even cars before that that I had put together. I, I have been, yeah. I started really with PCA driving DE probably in 93, 4, something like that, 94. And I had the, I had a yellow car. Yeah. So I started in 96. So that would have been just a couple right. Yeah. So you were, I remember I was in the beginner group and you were, I don't know if you were instructor level, but uh, yeah, no one wanted was, to ride with Mike because yeah, no. uh, he was so fast. <laughs> well, actually, you hear the stories from back then. I used to have a sequential twin turbo car that I would run at Bonneville, and I would use that also to uh, do PCA events. And uh, yeah, it used to used to freak people out. They'd feel that second turbo come on, and yeah, it was a little discomforting. <laughs> I know you have lots of accolades and accomplishments as a driver, as an engineer. But what I always remember, because you're you and your crew at TPC Racing, which used to be on Route One, um, you're literally you and Tom were like the first shop I pulled my car into once I got into the Porsche world. Because uh, like many people that first come into the Porsche world and may have been in other you know cars that they've modified this, that, and the other. Like I pulled up to your your shop with in mind like. What do I need to do next? And we'll talk a little bit about modern cars and what to do next. But your enthusiasm that day and Tom's that day has not changed over the probably 15, 20 years that I've known you. It's exactly the same, if not maybe even a little bit more, if that's if that's possible. It's probably a little bit more. You know, I'll really take that as a compliment because really that's the driving forces is the passion and the enthusiasm. And for me, that's what the PCA is all about. It's the people, it's the passion, and the and the brand embraces all of that. I mean, how can you go wrong? I, I fell in love with the brand um, before college, and then during college, I went to an, an aviation university that was behind the uh, Speedway at Daytona Beach, Embry-Riddle uh-huh. Aeronautical University. 
And um, I just realized that the brand embraced everything that I held dear from aviation. It was lightweight, purpose-made, and it was fast, and it won races. <laughs> and I was in love. Yeah. That was it. And, and reliable, which I guess oh is my important God, for aviation. Yeah. You, you can't, <laughs> aviation, performance is, is actually measured in reliability. So it's a maximum output for a stated period of time. And to me, the brand exuded that. And so I was drawn right in. Well, let's uh, let's kind of do what we traditionally do real quickly before we dive into TPC and DSC Sport. Uh, how's your how's your weekend? Well, you're you're rocking the purple, the yes, proud purple. Yes, my, uh, my Ravens uh, won uh, um, their division, uh, AFC North champions, uh, number one seed. Um, so for those of you who don't follow football, I'm sorry. For those of you who aren't Ravens fans, but fans of other teams, I wish you best of luck. It's a playoff. Oh, that's, round, so nice you're sorry. that's so nice but of again, you. You're sorry. I thought you were going to say, I'm sorry. That was very that's nice right. of you, man. I'm so but, proud uh, of you. Uh, for, uh, for Baltimoreans, uh, we've always had, uh, we've always been the underdogs. Our team has never been picked. So it's really strange hearing all the pundits now telling how great the Ravens are. It almost scares you because you're like, oh, you know, we do better as underdogs when they, they say, oh, we're nothing. You're never going to win. Uh, but wow, uh, we have a team now that has a great offense, defense, and special teams. I know you don't know what that means, but uh, it means that we've got all three uh, aspects that uh, it's going to make it for a fun postseason. Hopefully, uh, we don't bow out in the first playoff game. But you know, like the saying is, any given Sunday, that's what makes football fun to watch. All I know is that I don't pay attention to football, and I've even heard the past couple of weeks have been really oh, good for the Ravens. So uh, I'm completely <laughs> guilty of that. I always pride myself in that. I don't really understand it, but you know what? I really get it. I yeah. mean, they're on fire. Yeah. And, you know, NFL's on fire. And you I mean, can't help oh, yeah. but it's feel just it. Amazing. Like when you're, uh, you know, I, I, I talked about in the last podcast, I was at my uh, relative's house and they had the game on. And they're just, uh, you know, the feeling around it and how excited people get. And when there's like a little mistake and they're yelling at each other, it's pretty funny to watch. Yeah, it is. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so I um. Uh, obviously, I went to Cards and Coffee, the same one Mike uh, usually goes to, uh, Hunt Valley Cards and Coffee. Um, and uh, it's getting colder and colder. I was say, it was a and and we're, we're expecting a storm this weekend. So once they lay down that salt, then you see the participation decrease a big time at Cards and Coffee. Um, but we're trying to stretch it out as much as possible before we move indoors at the uh, coffee shop. But later that night, uh, my wife and I went to go see Ferrari, the movie. Ah. Yeah. yeah. So have you seen that, Mike? I have no? not seen that. So uh, my wife not. really liked uh, Ford versus Ferrari. So when this came out and I mentioned to her, she was pretty excited. I don't think she liked this as much as Ford versus Ferrari. Mm. Um, it's a very um, small snapshot into Ferrari's life. It's the year 1957, uh, which is the final year of the Millie Miglia. There's a big accident, and that shows uh, his struggling uh, and it's really a interesting dynamic how different it was than Porsche, where Porsche was racing in order to sell streetcars. Ferrari was uh, uh, selling uh, streetcars so he could race. Mm -hmm. It was the whole, and so consequently he was always in money problems with uh, before he ended up selling uh, selling Ferrari, which is documented in the Ford versus Ferrari. But the uh, the accident scene is uh, very graphic, very graphic. I was kind of off put by it. Really? Yeah, because the whole movie you don't see. You see some accidents, but nothing yeah. how... Uh, um, gruesome. Gruesome, which yeah. I'm sure it looks like they recreated the way it happened. Uh, but uh, it's uh, Patrick Dempsey, um, uh, I think it's Penelope Cruz. Adam Driver. Uh, Adam Driver. Enzo, right? Who I, I looked it up, and I always thought Enzo was a short guy because in the photos he doesn't look very tall. But according to Google, he's the same height as Adam Driver. 
Six two, I think, or six three. Yeah. So wow, wow. So impressed. Um, Yeah, it's a good movie. If you're a car guy, um, not a whole lot of racing, so it's not not like Ford versus Ferrari, um, but it's interesting to see uh, that one snapshot period of uh, what racing was like in the fifties. There was very little uh, emphasis put on safety. Mm -hmm. It was more about uh, winning. Isn't that amazing? You look at the cars and you look at the safety compared to modern day. And there wasn't an emphasis on the driver and the safety. And it really carries on into the streetcar as well. Yeah, I don't think they were even wearing belts because on all the accidents, you see, <laughs> you see the guy come flying out of the car, which I think back then their idea was you're going to survive if you can get out of the car. <laughs> thrown out you're of the not car. part of there. Was no, it wasn't a crumple zone. Right. The driver was a crumple zone. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was. Um, it, it's like indoor carts. You don't want to be trapped under. <laughs> Yeah, over, yeah, so. yeah. Your your best bets to escape. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it, the sound was incredible. The cars and uh, they use some CGI, but a lot was real cars. I remember seeing the previews as they were filming these using real uh, these real cars. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, is the is the movie doing well? Was it crowded? Uh, this was uh, on New Year's Day, so it was uh, it was about three quarters full. Mm, not yeah. bad. Well, then it must do well. Yeah. yeah. It's one of these theaters where uh, they every seat's like a lazy boy. Yeah. So it's less people in the theater. My because... problem is when I go to the movies now, I see the beginning and I kind of see the end. Somewhere in between. So you're like, you're you're like those, your oh, grandfather. With those comfortable seats <laughs> and you like have like a nice bucket of popcorn. Like in the beginning, you start and you're munching. You're all excited. It takes like half an hour to get through all the previews. And then you get into the movie. Then it gets dark and quiet and oh man that's just like a recipe that goes <laughs> off it's so hard and now you can lean back and yeah. put your feet up yeah <laughs> uh damon you were working on the car i was so um i'll start a little bit from the beginning but i'll, I'll make it quick so i I, ta- I called up tom actually um and asked him so for a 2.7 liter 987.1 came in 74 millimeter ipd plenum or 82 and 74 82 is probably too big unless you want you know, the power all the way at the top. Um, IPD doesn't really make the 74 anymore. Uh, or else I'd have to wait at least three to four months uh, for what it sounded like. So I ordered the 82. And if Robert goes to the first photo in there, so that's what it looked like before I did the Motorsport AOS, which it would be in the bottom right of the picture. And that's the stock plenum. So next photo, you'll see that the there's a little flapper valve, which the IPD plenum... Uh, removed so there's no vacuum there and then next photo um, there's a throttle body at the bottom of the plenum and if you're watching on YouTube that's why I'm saying next photo but basically IPD has changed where the throttle body is mounted and you know with 82 the size of the plenum um, so next photo you'll see I think the plenum so this is why I did it all is because uh, to, to get into the compressor area, I had to take the plenums out. So compressor's in. Um, next photo, and that's AC compressor. It's not bolted there, and there's a couple things missing. It looks better now. Um, and a couple more photos, I think, are the last ones. There's the plenum. And if you look, zooming out a little bit, you have something called an air oil separator. If you're on YouTube, it's in the bottom right. Mm-hmm. And there's a black tube that goes underneath the plenum right. Right. that if you didn't have the Motorsport AOS would go behind the plenum tube. Mm. Guess what doesn't fit underneath the plenum? Your Motorsports? The AOS hose. Oh. So now my car, I need to either 
go back I, I need to, to call a IPD. I'm, I'm waiting for a call back, but I need to either make a custom hose or I don't know if you've had this issue before. Well, we, we run into a lot of different issues with fitment, but yeah. um, a lot of it you have to be creative. Yeah. You, you just have to. That's what I'm going right, to do. I'm going right, to go right, to Cauliflower and see if they can't. You right. Know, you, you, you figure it out as you're out. going or you cut the plat. Sometimes yeah. it's a matter of figuring out what Porsche part was closer. Like you might mm. take one from a 911. Yeah. And that gets you there and see, without may, customizing. Maybe research a bit to see if there's a stock hose that'll fit. Correct. Correct. Well, you can't be the first yeah. person. No, I, I couldn't because it's, stuff. you know, it's the, the competition plan. Yeah. I'm in the Motorsport it's AOS. Like, right. They seem like they but, would go hand But, you know, in hand. so few people pay $1,700 for that AOS. That's, it's a ridiculous price, but. <laughs> it is. And, um, and does it really add anything to what you're doing? That's, it's that's, peace of mind. Correct. Right. And that's right. all it is. That's it. That's so it. far. Right. I was looking so. at the uh, the PC Mart and they had used cup car axles. Sixty one hundred dollars. Oh my gosh. So maybe the AOS is actually a pretty good deal. <laughs> yes, used. Ma- Manny, when used I was when I was moving, I, I threw away a thirty yard dumpster just full of those. I know, axles. I was about to say he's probably got a treasure trove of those. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, that was my weekend. I, I basically fitted everything up and last night I was thinking, man, I'm gonna get this thing fired up and I'll have it here at the office in the morning. Nope. (laughs) But this is all to say, you know, IPD, you know, from what I can tell, you know, really great plenum looks well built. You know, the whole system looks nice. I'm sure it'll work just fine. But this is what happens when you get into projects like this is you can never think it's going to go straight through. Right. And I mean, you you got the hoses in order to connect it to your air box. So you had that going on. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to be a little creative with it because in a way you're taking apart that they couldn't just dedicate to one only specific model car. Yeah. So you're doing it from a 911, you're doing it to this car. So you've got to be able to construct it. For us, we keep all of those crankcase ventilation hoses, and then we'll just come in and we just (laughs) did that, as a matter of fact, the other day. Nice. Right. So we we, we, we battled that same Ah, gotcha. Well, gotcha. Now I'll I'll have to uh, do a little bit more research. It looks like you got to get a uh, you got to get a clear cover now. Uh, yeah, show off the like, engine. No, engine, look, engine looking so pretty. It, yeah. It's a shame to uh, then it'll get dusty again. Yeah. I'll have to keep cleaning. I was going to say it, that's definitely so. not on his. <laughs> no, nah, you got to wax that cover yeah, all the time. Uh, <laughs> but you got to you know, flip it over and yeah, wax it. You know, do you want to wax that? Not me. Nope. Nope. Well, but that was my weekend. So quickly for me, car stuff, I did get to go to uh, Sunset uh, Cars and Coffee, which is a later. That sounds like a Cars and Coffee at a retirement home. Uh, yeah, it really does. I'm scared it's already. A, it's actually <laughs> now the chair. Opposite. Now I'm glad it's wobbling. It's from two to five, <laughs> and the average age is probably 25. So it's mostly yeah. uh, JDM cars, a couple of like built up trucks. You know, they have um, dance music playing too loudly food trucks and uh, a buddy of mine who owns a couple of restaurants he and uh, his friends put that on and it's at uh braglio farms and it's a beautiful location so anyways i thought i would uh i probably took one of the oldest cars i took my uh, each 83 e21 in its i put it into its winter mode where i put the um i have 80s neon colored bear crafter ski racks that are almost unobtainium so i put the ski racks on and then of course i have my unobtainium neon 
uh period correct uh skis that go with it so i drove that out so that's when i took my son jonah uh he was wasn't that excited to go because he wanted to just chill at home and play on the computer but then he really (laughs) like he's like dad this is kind of like fast and furious this is not like a this is not like a normal car show that you go to where it's all the boring porsches with all with all like the exotic cars and so it was pretty funny. Uh, he yeah. had a great meal. But for me, as far as car stuff this weekend, uh, my daughter called Friday afternoon, and uh, I didn't accept her call because I was in a meeting. And then she called again, and I didn't accept her call. And she called again. I'm like, uh-oh. So I picked up the phone. She's like, Dad, the Corolla is dead. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I can't start it. I'm at the mall. I'm like, okay, well, you know, either wait there or get it jumped. She's like, oh, I flagged someone down. We're going to jump it. So next thing you know, she got home, thankfully. And, um, you know, my wife is just looking for any excuse to get this 400,000 mile Corolla, like donated or Off whatever. But then I'm like, ah, I paid almost nothing for this car. So I just want to see how much longer I can make it last. So I have a, a jump box I put on it and the jump box actually measures the voltage as soon as you connect it. And it showed uh, 12 volts. And then I'm like, huh, interesting. So I start it still 12 volts. I throw on the fan. I throw on the lights. 11.8 11.9 i'm like ooh, must be an alternator so that's what i did i didn't try to knock it out that day because i'm i'm i used to do that all the time like you want to get to that project and just kind of uh, do things right away I'm like, I'm like you know what nope i'm gonna relax and take care You're of taking it the, uh, the damon route and just i was like i will <laughs> carve out a time on saturday and take my time and went through it and an hour later, a new alternator. I got a new battery because the battery was like a 2017 battery. Fired right up. 14 plus volts now. Steady as a rock. There we and go. How much is the alternator? The alternator was $120. So now bad. you got a car worth at least so wait a minute. How, how many miles does she have to travel? Well, right now that car was supposed to be a River Hill car, meaning my neighborhood. It was right. supposed to go from my driveway <laughs> to the high school. That's my point. Yeah. So it's like it's the perfect kid car because my son Jason used it all through high school, but he's now in college. So that car is kind of an extra car. My daughter came home from college. So now she's driving it, but she's driving it outside of the. What was the, what was the Honda Fit supposed to be? So that's Jason's car. So he does drive that car. <laughs> See, most people have to track their kids with GPS. Yeah. You can simply do it by how many miles can you oh, drive yeah, the yeah. battery. Yeah. So you know they oh, can't no, no, go no, more no. than five the, miles The odometer doesn't work on this car. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> no light. It hit 400,000 and it doesn't. And do it the doesn't, lights really work? The, at 400,000, the car, car says, we're done. We're not counting car, anymore. That car is amazing. It has everything that you need. Air conditioning, electric windows, a booming system with a subwoofer. I mean, it's got everything a kid needs, right? And uh, interesting enough, a 2005 Corolla or Matrix, I think they're called, the engineers designed them so that once it got to 299,000 miles, it stops counting. Like the digital dash just stops counting at 299999999. So how long has it been? It's not counting. How well, many years? When I bought it, I thought I got a deal because the car was under 300,000 miles. So and I now gave, you find out. So I gave him it's five, always been. I gave him 500 bucks and I'm like, I'm going to turn, I'm going to see the odometer flip tomorrow. So I drive it and I drive it and I'm driving it. I'm like, <laughs> it's not flipping. So I called the guy. He was my neighbor. I was like, uh-huh. I thought it was 300,000 miles. He's like, no, 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 no. It's got much more than 300,000 miles. <laughs> I was like, I got, he's like, how much? He's like, I don't know. It's been like that for four years or so. So it's got probably well over, I would say probably 400-ish. That's amazing. And it That's unbelievable. doesn't leak a drop of oil on the driveway. Heat, AC. Anyway, so. If you have an old car, you don't want to donate? 
Yeah, it up. just goes goes to my house. My Camry is he's like, a local car. He's like a cat woman. You have a cat, he'll take it. You have a car, I will. Yeah, I will take it. it. It's such a good car. It deserves to be loved. And it's taken my kids through high school, you know. And I love that. Jo- jo- Jonah's not, about to drive. It deserves to be loved. Yes, Dur- it does, every it car does. deserves to be loved. Right. Yep. Yeah. Especially when it's a little dog. Low barrier to entry. Yeah. So uh, getting back to portion away from Corolla talk. <laughs> Corolla's in <laughs> camera. Our, sure? our listeners are going to disappear. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the meeting you were having is more interesting than the Corolla story. The meeting I was having was with the Porsche Club of Great Britain. Yes. Their president um, comes in and out of New York and D.C. quite a bit and uh, wanted to stop by and just kind of, you know, uh, poke my brain of things that are going on in the club. Some, you know, they're going through some changes in the leadership in their club. But you know what? It's really amazing to hear all the things they're trying to address, you, we, be it uh, getting younger members in what kind of event draws people should you have these events at eight in the morning what size are they i think now they're about twenty nine thousand, if i'm not mistaken um are they growing or have they they are growing they're doing a great job they are growing they're just you know a different size than us and they have a lot of uh all of their events are managed centrally by the porsche club of great britain even though they have regions but the individual regions kind of feed their events through the system of national, which is a little bit different model. Um, but, you know, they, like I said, they face sort of the same challenges uh, as we move into the future of taking care of those that have been with your club for many a decades. But then how do you also uh, make the newcomers feel invited and have events that they feel that, uh, you know, belongs to them, right? And so they they actually were invited to come with us on the cruise uh, this year but they couldn't make things happen but i'm thinking that we're going to invite them and have them come over and join us for the uh, traffic at sea in alaska um you know i think it's a bucket list for not only we're US thinking and- of inviting them or we are inviting them? well we are inviting but i think they're gonna well have- that depends on how <laughs> i was gonna say they are listening to this so <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're thinking of inviting Mike to our, our dinner party, but we oh, haven't no, decided right. yet. So I'm not really listening to that. So the invitation has always been open to not only Porsche Club of Great Britain uh, members, but, more clear. but anybody, yeah. right? But yeah. will, will we have a more initiative? Or formal? Like a, formal, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think do do they tell you what promotes the growth inside the uh, club? Do they tell you? Are, are they getting more younger members? Um, We... You know, I didn't really talk specifics of what, you know, they, they talked about the same challenges. I, they, they didn't share with me, nor did I really ask. Um, it wasn't, we didn't have that much time together. But it's 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 the same thing. It's, it's you know, newer car members uh, or newer car owners, four-door people. How do you get them integrated? It's, it's essentially the same challenges. issues, challenges. challenges. It's just on a different scale. And when you're at... <clears throat> excuse me at 30,000 people you have less resources than PCA to try to make a significant dent on things so you have to be even more calculated in what you're doing and that's why I'm so willing to share what we're doing with PCA to help the greater good of clubs outside of the US and Canada and they're so thankful for it um you know I've met a number of them through the different meetings we've had at the uh, Porsche International Presidents meetings, and they're such good people. They're, they're they they have the same passion that we do. Um, they just don't have the, the the scale that we do. So right, but you still have the same issues, same thing. Because I'm I'm interested in that because from the business side, 
And from my side of always wanting to be involved, my passion keeps bringing me, cl- it, it never lets me go from the whole scene of the car, what yeah. I'm in love with. And for me, I've now, I've embraced the Macan. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a Macan <laughs> because I see, okay, how do you, I love the brand. I love what it's about. Plus I'm a car guy and I see, okay, from the business side, What's the company doing? What are the people that are energized doing? Right. I see the Macan as a platform to be part of that. And yeah. so for me, I I kind of joined that rank and file without really driving the car at first. Mm-hmm. And then I picked up delivery of the car. You totally I'm hooked. See, you're I, hooked. You're totally I, I love your, which Macan did you get? I picked up an S. Huh? An yeah. S, Manny. Great, great yeah. car. Great it, car. I, I ordered it with the air suspension because I'm forming, I'm right now, uh, working on the DSC Sport mm. to control both ride height and then the the valving and the damper just for the handling, the entry exit of the corner, and also ride height. There's a lot of things you can do with it. Yeah. But I'm I just I get it. The car, it 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 looks like, feels like, smells like, drives like a Porsche. Mm-hmm. Like I have a nine a newer a new nine eleven. You know that mm-hmm. I've you know I've got a GT three car. And to me, if you sit behind the Macan, you are part of the Porsche family. Absolutely. It yeah. is not one of the VAG cars. It's not even to be confused when you drive it. One thing that, that came through, and we all being here at HQ noticed this as well within the club, especially in the past decade or so, is the level of volunteerism. You know, much like us, volunteers are the lifeline of the organization, but they also see how difficult. It is to, you know, the, the volunteer pool of people, people that have the time to put into the club. And then especially at the higher levels uh, within the club of, you know, dedicating, you know, our executive council members that are they're coming in this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, you know, outside of this particular uh, meeting that, you know, they put in 40, 60 hours a week for PCA. It's a must. It's not like we do this because we just, you know, happen to want to be together. There's so much going on in the organization. They have to tend to it at that level. And finding people that can do that for the future of your club, that's one of the major challenges for for all of us. Yeah. I I find all these challenges being in the business world um, and coming from racing, I try to involve more and more young people. And it's really been the key to our success in the last 10 years in racing and maybe 20. I've really always tried to involve more and more. My crew is basically young. I I mix. I've got about a 50-50 mix of people with a lot of experience. I bring in a lot of new blood and train them. And over the years, I see them working in other teams, you know, and they've made a livelihood now of being a crew member. It's kind of impressive to see. But on our driver side now, it's the same thing. We have a number of drivers that are between 15 and 17 years of age and are from their business side. We now have probably 70 to 90% of our new hires are all between 17 and 21. Wow. And wow. we're, we're, I, I love bringing in the, it's great to have that youthful, that feeling, that mm-hmm. vision, that understanding of where you got to keep going. And it's not to block out anybody else because we still have the same people that we've got people that have been employed with us since the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say think young people are new to the brand. You need to finally got a Porsche. Um, they come to TPC because you're, you're known for modifying Porsches. Yeah, um, I think. What, what's, the, uh, 
how does that conversation usually go? Because what people read or see may think, well, this is where I want to put my money in. You, what, how do you guide them into saying this is what you really want to do to get the most bang for your buck or to see a difference and not just uh, uh, see that the pants horsepower? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question, Manny, because really my, my, my real instinct is the first thing I do is I come from the ultimate enthusiast. I've literally come from loving everything about sports cars, the car scene in general, and then, of course, coming from the racing world. So my first real my first real thing is to trust my instinct and to talk to them a little bit. I let them talk, and I try to find out where they're coming from and where they really want to go with all of this. And sometimes we don't necessarily want to do or we don't guide them where they think we would guide them, where we would, you know, would try to sell them on a lot of items. It might be as simple as, you know what? The car is already magnificent. Maybe you just need to slightly tune the chassis or maybe just check the specs to see where you are. Start there. And then we'll try to guide them. We might find out they have an interest in doing driver ed. Um, they thought that they they only want to go to cars and coffee. So it may be more of an exhaust and then tune the chassis lightly. But we really try to keep blending chassis. The total performance package to me is still from where I came from aviation. It's that full package. And when you buy a Porsche, you're buying that full package. That's why you're so drawn to the brand. And everything that he said was very true when I walked through your doors in 2003, when I first got my car, because I came from the Mustang 5 liter world where you could throw on a set of mufflers and it really would put some serious power down because there was lots of inefficiencies in the system. So I came walking through the door. I'm like, all right, I'd like to get a full exhaust for my 87 911. <laughs> and Tom and Mike looked at me. They're like, why? <laughs> you have a wonderful car. That is a gorgeous car. Why don't you? And we did. We did the same. Did exactly what you just said. We, you, he listened to me. He's like, are you going to do driver's ed? Are you going to autocross? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. He's like, why don't we start with an alignment? And that car is very capable alignment. Let's check your brakes because it has turbo brakes on it. Um, and that's what we did. So for the first, like, I would say year, year and a half of owning my car, I did nothing. Right. I just drove it. And that's really a recommendation that I really try to fulfill with most customers. It really starts with very minimal basics, including, of course, preventive maintenance. You know, you can't, you can't stress enough about trying to keep the fluids fresh, making sure the gearbox. We also, by the time we read the customer and they're saying, oh, I'm doing two or four driver eds this year, and have you changed gearbox oil? Uh, no. <laughs> it's like, well, we would have normally done it two times this season at a minimum. Yeah. And so we try to also educate them at the same time and tell them why the fluids need to be changed, the temperatures they reach, why the fluid matters at temperature more than it does at interval. Temperature is the key factor. That's what breaks down the oil. So we, we, they do get a little bit of an education, and we get an education by listening to them. And my but, education but, – oh, you, you know, they're, they're, and, I, and I, I run into these questions here at the office. Um, they want to – get the tune on the car you know because especially when damon and i were talking about this earlier because i was telling him you're, you're you've ordered a car at t and uh about awesome how car how people want to awesome uh car. you know you say well i'll just get the base model and i can tune it to a gts or to a much higher horsepower um and i and i'm convinced that it's not simple as that it, it, there's other aspects to uh this simply tuning you, you have to pay the piper at some point for what when you start making tuning adjustments you said that exactly right and, yeah. and and I tell them, you know, um, 
it's a whole package, so make sure you're doing it. Because Porsche, if they could just simply tune it, that's what they would do. But, you know, when you get an X50 package, you're getting a lot more than a tune. It's all a lot of internals they've changed. Oh, my gosh, yes, yeah. <laughs> when you're when you're dealing with Porsche, when you get the difference in the different model cars, you're getting different size turbochargers. There could be engine internals. Um, there's just so many different size injector. You have a lot of things going on. But I've got to tell you, what really excites me is understanding what I can of the platform and this new 992 platform and also the 718 as well. 718 is an exciting platform. I got to tell you, don't, don't, don't ever underestimate the little 718 oh, four-banger. No, we, we, we love oh, them here. I yeah, love yeah. the four-cylinder. It's I got to tell you, I was a naysayer the first time I heard the engine. I was yeah. like, is this thing missing? What am I? And then someone's like, it's the four-cylinder. And I'm, I was like, okay. But when I drove it on the racetrack, Oh my gosh! I think I, I like the four cylinder more than the GTS 4.0. I'm telling you, you know. Damon, I'm right with you. Yeah. We have a we have one car in particular, a 718 with a four cylinder that we've tuned it mildly so that at the big end, the torque we just extended the torque band out, but we kept it low at the bottom end, yeah. and we extended the horsepower up, and we really worked inside the guidelines that Porsche set out there. All we did was interpolate yeah. kind of the. The, the VE tables or the fuel yeah. tables, lambda demand, just add a little bit more power, but worked on the chassis. Yeah. The way that car goes into the corner and comes out with those two extra cylinders missing, magical. Now, when you yeah. say work on magical. the chassis, you're sticking with the stock Porsche suspension and just adjusting it? Is that what you mean? We do. We we really, we, we like to take baby steps. I don't like to get involved with like throw the kitchen sink, sure. bring out a chainsaw and just change yeah. all the sudden. Oh, build. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, yeah, <laughs> SEMA build. It's like, oh, that rear suspension's too light. Let's, let's, let's put in the rear suspension out of and a that, guy's Mustang. You that's know? because yeah. if something goes wrong, you don't know where it went wrong because you changed everything at once. So that's why you take baby steps. It is. I mean, it's got a lot to do with that, Manny. It also has to do with a lot of uh, the respect that I have for Porsche racing their cars all of these years. And I mean, it's a lot of years. I've, I've got a lot of history with racing their different chassis, really from the 993 to the current 992. And I've raced each model, each change the entire time without taking a season off and going to Visoc. And the, the attention to detail and the engineering that goes behind every one of these changes is so incredible that you just can't break out the chainsaw and start changing lower control arms and upper. You're changing geometry. You're changing things that have huge impact on the car. So we also like to train the driver to think. And it's better to tune the chassis mildly and then kind of digress about the car. I love talking with guys that are doing DE. It's easier than a pro driver because every pro driver gets a coach. And if you can find a tenth of a second a lap with a pro, it's like, okay, that's a milestone. You know, that's a big mm -hmm. one. Sure. But with a with a novel driver, they're coming out, oh man, I think the car's, uh, no, 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 no. The front end, the middle, and the exit of the corner, let's discuss that. And then let's pick corners that have a relevance to let's say a speed. So we might find two corners in a track. And then next thing you know, they're understanding like, wow, like I get it. Like got to really think, can't just change the diff right away. That influences everything. Change the tire. You're changing the influence on the chassis. The number one influence on a chassis is the tire. I remember one of the first things you've told me when I you know, wanted to go down the road of modification is that you said, you said to me, you have to think of the end game. 
And when you do changes, it has to be changes thought out as a system. Don't do one thing and then do one thing and then do one thing. You always said have the whole plan and have a package kind of approach yeah, to it all. You do. You have to you have to know where you're gonna go. And for us, having experience coming from the racing side, we know where it all leads to. Yeah. I mean it's a it's a pretty deep hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not a pretty sight. You yeah. know, I mean you could end up as bad as me just spending your life chasing yeah. this. But at the end of the day, we don't want to let them fall into the pitfall where you become frustrated and you can't get there. So you start with these small things and they see huge improvements. You know, they'll start picking up a second a lap, two seconds a lap. And the next thing you know, they're really thinking about driving. Our next big thing is data. We'll, 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 we'll talk about data before we'll go ahead and uh, make huge changes because now they need to learn more about the art of driving mm -hmm. and learn how to br uh, dress the car to the corner. How do you bring the car to the corner? I remember when I started DE, when you did, Manny, you would go to a classroom, and it didn't matter whether you were in an SCCA course, whether you did a driver course in the 90s. Uh, it was a basic thought of, like, you got a straightaway, a brake zone, you got the apex, and you got the next straightaway. And they told you where to accelerate, where to brake, you brake in a straight line. But once... It got to the point in my career where I was racing SCCA and I was racing against, let's say, I would race against the GT1 class, which was basically uh, Trans Am cars. And I found out that I had to make my Porsche work on the exit and the braking. And to do that, it had to be very tight where most people couldn't drive it. So I would go very late in braking. You'd carry the nose down get your hands open, accelerate hard out of the corner with a lot of power, which meant you got on the power earlier and broke later than these NASCAR engine cars ahead. These, even in the late 90s and early 2000, they were near 800 horsepower. These are serious cars. And uh, they were amazed that a little six-cylinder Porsche could just absolutely devastate them. It was because I was concentrating on that. And then we got to the pro, we really concentrated on See, still those same elements, but we would concentrate on maximizing the entry and the exit speed. So we would change the way that we thought about DE. It was no longer braking in a straight line. You brake all the way up around the corner with almost 90% of the braking. Get your hands open and go to the power. You know, it was just a different mindset. So your, your average person might think that the car understeers, it sounds like, but that's because they're not driving it hard enough into the corners, mm -hmm. for example. It, it, this was really a hard thing to overcome about the year 2001 and two. And I was lucky enough to meet up with Randy Popst. Ah. And the two of us became partners at, um, we were at, um, we were in our, we were in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, mm. and it was a night race. And I was under the lights and I came in like P4 or P5 and Randy was standing on the wall mm. and I had an exhausting ride from the back of the field and I almost got myself to the podium and Randy was like, you know what? I see what you're struggling. <laughs> we could win together. Uh -huh. And then from that point on, it was all about Randy could maximize the grip in the corner. Mm. And by the time like 0203 came around, we would start to interview other pro drivers to drive our chassis that we would set up. And most of them would fight the understeer. They were like, we can't do it. It's because they couldn't get that. You had to use the brake pedal to carry the that extra 20 pounds of force into the nose. You had to mm -hmm. use the brakes to carry it. Yeah. And not everybody could wrap. Now it's a, it's a well thought of thing. But yeah. really, Popest was a driving force. And 
And then years ago, like by the 03, mids, even 03, Pompelli kind of not only embraced it, he like, the kid was like <laughs> on fire. And he termed it, you, you don't trail break it because that infers you're sliding the back end. Yeah. You're bending the car to the corner. And yeah. that, was a, that was a Pompelli thing. That was Spencer. Is that left foot brakes a lot? Yeah, I left foot brake yeah. only because I would start a lot of that because I was used to it. You know, I was used to doing it. I I can't, I don't find myself left foot braking in the serious, like if I'm at the Glen and I'm coming down to like, you know, some stupid high speed, like turn one. Sometimes I'll left foot, if I know my foot's on that brake pedal, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes I just right foot that thing and get it in there and, yeah. and do it. But on all the slow speed stuff, yeah, I'll use it just to press the nose oh. down. I used it just to get a little grip in the, in the front end. Yeah. So but, uh, but do you think a lot of that is... Uh, I, I see PSM has um, uh, corrupted is the right word, but a lot of people think they're phenomenal drivers, and they don't realize that the car is really doing. I remember instructing people and who had PSM car in the rain, and when we were done, I would say, um, "I'm sure you're a good driver, but this past session the car was doing ninety percent of the work because in a non-PSM car you can't come out of a corner of oak tree at VIR full throttle with the car you have and still be going straight." We said if we were doing a my nine sixty four, we'd be facing traffic right now. Right, uh, but I don't know. Think they, 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 a lot of people understood that that it was a car that was, even though they were flat on the gas, the car was not fully accelerating. You know, the computer was slowing the car down so it could come out and and keep it stable. Yeah, and I think that's uh, unfortunately, uh, especially as the more horsepower the cars get, uh, people um, looking for more horsepower because they're not getting scared anymore. Uh, because the car is doing such a great job of keeping everything under control. And it, it's got to be a struggle when you're teaching someone on the track. Uh, you know, it is a struggle, and you're right. And and they can also feel it. By the time, if you let them go on their own and you don't really give them any encouragement or you don't get involved in the process, you'll hear things like, I'm being slowed down by the PSM. I hear that all the time. Yeah. PSM's <laughs> totally a Or the wear out rear brake. It's not brake. me, it's the car. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's the car. <laughs> the rear brake pads wear out because this thing is constantly PSMing. And I'm yeah. thinking like, okay. Yeah. And then I'll hear more and more. I hear we should change differential. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. No, it's really, so there are different levels of PSM and Porsche will tune this depending on the development of that car. Like a GT3 gets a different PSM development than let's say a standard road going Cayman or a 911. And then of course, like the GT2 model got a lot of it, but this, but at the end of the day, I, I really help them by understanding when it's being interruptive and why, because to your point, you're exactly right. If you didn't have it, the car would be going the other direction because they're not working on the basics. And once they work on the basics, the PSM doesn't get disruptive, actually. Right. And at, at a point, you really find the PSM is your reminder in the back of your mind. You're on the limit because you're not using it to, to hold, to, to add, change, to, to correct the attitude of the car. You're using it as enforcement to go, wow, I'm right on the edge. I can feel that bop, 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 bop right there. Yeah. And I'm like, got no more to give it. I'm, uh, oh, it's all the tire we got. That's all the chassis we have until we make a mild improvement. But the driving, I've got it going on. And so a lot of it's got to do with how you place the car, car placement, how you're carrying the nose. Are you trying to give it gas while your hands are in the car? Typically, that's the biggest reason, especially in the rain. Oh, my God, PSM, no PSM. When you're in the rain, it's all about, it's, it's auto crossing. You get up behind the corner, you get your hands open, 
and you straight away it. And you look for anything that's you, anything shiny, no grip. Gray, <laughs> yeah, grip. grip. Yeah. And if it's shiny, no grip. It's a yeah. real easy thing. I always try to instruct people. Shiny, bad, no grip. <laughs> <laughs> real bad, no gas pedal. No gas pedal shiny. I even tell them on the radio. Yeah. I go, go for the gray stuff. Go for the gray stuff. I used to yeah. say, if it's painted, stay off of it in the rain. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it's shiny. Sure. It's shiny it's, stuff. Yeah. So um, something that... I'm guessing some of our uh, listeners are wondering about. So there are different ways to approach uh, car modification. And for example, so far I built my Cayman for autocross. Um, and, you know, you would think bigger brakes. And then at some point I'm going to do a front radiator, uh, center radiator and all that. That's actually not great for autocross because it's more weight that you don't need. But for track, it's great because you're keeping temperatures down for the brakes. And so how do you... What are some of the things you need to keep on mind, whether are you going to be just driving on the back roads and want to have a fun, well-handling car on the back roads versus having it handle well in autocross versus it handling well on track and being able to cope with the stresses? But how do you approach different those three different types of, I guess, you know, general the, Damon, that's, that's like that's a really intelligent question. Because I've uh, learned over 15, 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, so. but people don't give enough relevance to it. Yeah. They really don't give enough relevance to it. And, um, and luckily, from my aviation background, I understand the, the value of a gyro. Mm -hmm. And when a rotor, the mass is spinning, it is a gyro. And a gyro is always 90 degrees in the direction of it, 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 it's nine, the, it's 90 degrees opposite of the force put upon it so if you're trying to turn your wheels it's trying to do a different thing the gyro the gyro is always trying to do a different thing so i found out early on like uh like imsa or rather at the time grand am would allow us two different brake packages we could run a larger rotor or the stock rotor on the gt3 some teams would elect for the larger rotor which we would for big tracks yeah. if i was going for watkins Glen. And I didn't want a lot of response in the front end where I wanted the rotor to fight me, where I wanted the car to be tight going into turn one, where I could just punish mm -hmm. the brakes all the way down and just use that thing to keep the car tight. But if I went to a tight course, like um, um, a street course, or if I went to uh, any course that would have a lot of quick turning, I would elect for the smaller rotor because of the less mass. And it was easier to move. So mm -hmm. for most applications, I just saw this. I just got this same question the other day. I get this all the time from a customer. So I'll go with a larger brake package mm -hmm. if I can maintain the gyroscopic weight versus diameter. Mm -hmm. So there are companies out there that really pay attention to this. Um, mm -hmm. One particular company, I, I don't want to give out too many, you know, pumps, different things. But I, I've got to appreciate the engineering level behind a lot of these 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 uh modifications if you want to call them but pfc has done mm -hmm. this incredible job of having so much information about braking from all of the professional series that they've been involved in both nascar imsa i mean worldwide fia it doesn't matter and the fact that they have are the only american company to ever be involved in a porsche motorsport car um, they've won some, but what it is, is for the size rotor, okay, the, the swept area, they've minimized that swept area, which means that they can maintain the rotor temperature 
which is mm. vital to stop cracking. Because anything cold, anytime you have an area that's not affected by the pad, that's a cold area. That's mm. why you get cracks. I okay. See. Also, it's metallurgy. The metal matrix is vital. So I think about all these things. So if I've got necessarily a car, like a ceramic brake car, guy wants to do DE events. They're saying, hey, I can get a, a metal rotor replacement. I can box my ceramic brakes. They're very expensive per brake. I think that's brilliant. You're right. I, I don't blame you. I would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So to me, my first step would either to be to put the steel rotor that Porsche sells, mm -hmm. which would come with a different swept area, a different rotor diameter and a different swept area, which means it's lighter than mm -hmm. if they were to get a replacement rotor assembly. They're not thinking about the weight. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about So you the want to go with OEM just because of that little detail you might not consider. Or they might want to put a rotor that has a bigger mm -hmm. hat, that has a smaller swept area, maybe change the pad that is mm -hmm. a little more friendly to the mass. Mm -hmm. You know, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of thought that goes on with that question. Yeah. So that the answer to that question is if you're autocrossing, man, stock rotor. Matter of fact, if you've got, <laughs> yeah. if you've got a GT3, you might pick up your your autocross time a little bit by putting on the rotors off of a off an S model. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. like literally, like think about you know going the other direction. Yeah, and you you don't want track pads because you got to warm them up. You got to warm and them autocross, up. You don't have that time. Yeah, they got to be good. So Bingo! Pads, yeah. Like what could be more deadly in autocrossing <laughs> than, than having a track pad? Or or you <laughs> ask put, me how I know. Or, or you or you steal the rotors and brakes off of a ceramic car. Yeah, super light. I love. I had a mm -hmm. GT4 recently, a GT4 RS, and mm -hmm. I ordered it with ceramics. I took it to the track. Man, is ceramics great? Oh, I much. bet. Because you just you turn in the braking's magnet. You yeah. get everything. Because people are thinking of the cons consumables. You know, when they say go from PCCB to um, iron disc, right? But they're not thinking probably as much about you know maybe the gyroscopic effect or correct. But, but when you call up our shop, really, I think Tom Chan's like yeah. probably mm -hmm. he, the, the biggest interface with the, with the customer, what we try to really tell people to do with the ceramic brake car. Mm -hmm. Cause typically that's a turbo. That's a GT three. These are cars that have big, you know, have a brake package. That's that size. So yeah. we really try to sell on a brake package, complete mm -hmm. rotors, calipers, yep. keep the mass extremely low, even lower than the mm -hmm. factory. Um, and get a pad that comes in at the right temperature. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these pads are really engineered uh, cold to have a, a good bite cold. And that's why a lot of the manufacturers, like if you see our race rotors, mm -hmm. they'll have a very small annulus. So they'll they'll have a very small swept area. But if you see a factory car, they'll have a very large. And the reason that is, is because they want the temperature from the time you engage the puck, you want the temperature to rise quick. Because they want to have that breaking cold, come up to a traffic light. It's cold out. You haven't stopped. They, that's a big test that the manufacturers go through. Then it has to meet breaking at high speeds over and over. So there's big criteria. Mm -hmm. But so you have to know what you're picking. But for us, we try to keep that mass down mm -hmm. irregardless. And if I'm autocrossing, can't stress it enough. Yeah. And if I'm road racing, can't stress it enough. So yeah. that questions the. Yeah. I understand so, my car is a compromise because it has the Cayman S brakes instead of the smaller, um, you know, base Cayman brakes, and it's got the eighteen wheels and it came stock, I think, on seventeen. So for autocross, you would want that smaller stuff. But I know that you know I'll take my car to the track at some point in the future, so I'll probably add weight by adding a center radiator. But if you were, I guess, if you were just to say I'm gonna take my car to the track. You know, what would the first few mods you would 
do for a car like that versus if you're taking it to autocross what would be the a few mods you would do well whether you're autocrossing or going out to do your first de events the very first thing is we'll go through the fluids service mm -hmm. it properly do a setup an appropriate setup for what you're doing whether it's mm -hmm. and typically it's very similar for autocrossing and track use mm -hmm. there's not going to be a radical difference at all okay. yeah. the next thing is is a uh, brake flush are you when you say brake setup flush. are you talking about set up the alignment yeah set up okay. for the alignment that's mm -hmm. we're all about that yeah. i even to the to the to the degree that like we just finished our new workshop um, we now have a new workbench that uh, just like our old one goes to different levels, but this one has like no deflection whatsoever. So regardless of what weight vehicle you have, you have, it's just like when we do set up at the track. So our numbers are money. Mm. You know, we can just be, and I think I've told this story before, but my, my, uh, wife's boxer, uh, 986. Also my dad has mm -hmm. a 986. This is a 2000, I think. He got his car set up or aligned at, you know, some box tire shop. Um, and then, of course, you did the alignment on Loanne's Boxster. And my dad, when he came to visit, he drove Loanne's car. He's like, why does this car handle so differently than mine? And I'm like, purely alignment setup, dad. Like, that's really the it's the same car. Yeah, but it's, it's such a. So before buying parts, you start with the basics in that it's sense. Always start or with better the fluids. You right, said right. Too. You start with the basics and you work your way out from there because you got to understand what you're working on first. Mm -hmm. Always work on the basics, and that's our biggest advice to to customers. And then along the way, of course, we have a look. We have a number of customers at the end. They'll end up with a factory race car, and they're in the program. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And we're we're as far down the rabbit hole as you're yeah. going to go. Or we're building like a 1,200 horsepower car to do like uh, 200 treadwear tire events. Yep. You know, which I love to do. I love yeah. these ultimate street car, yeah. you know, driving events. I get a lot of grief yeah, sometimes yeah. from from the motorsport guys. You know, like the Porsche yeah. motorsport end. They're like, yeah. is this really safe enough <laughs> for you to do? Do you know somebody named Matt Alcala? I... He's done a few of the ultimate streetcar events, but um, what car? He, I, I think Mustang or Camaro. I went to high school with him, and I just realized that he has some like award-winning Mustang. Oh, builds, really? So, and I then mean, he did the uh, ultimate uh, yeah, streetcar challenge at some point. So. It's a great, great yeah. series. Uh, you know, the, they do an amazing job. Um, their main, their title sponsor is Optima. You know, mm -hmm. Optima Battery. Yeah. And um, and I I really. I saw it years and years ago because I've always gone to the SEMA show and I've been a vendor. I've, you know, displayed at SEMA our DSC Sport line there for gosh knows how many years. And I saw the series come in. It was great. It was basically a call out um, to everybody that's building a car. It's like, okay, if you're building the biggest and baddest car, let's go to the racetrack. Yeah. Let's do a couple of disciplines. Let's mm -hmm. let's autocross it. Let's go to the let's go to the racetrack. Do these cars hold up? Do they really handle? And it's really an amazing place to showcase what you do and to learn more. That's yeah. the biggest thing. I find all these builders, they really, really learn. Yeah. And the builders are really good guys and they're really yeah. talented. They're it's fun to watch. Yes. When I can find it. I'm, I I thought it was pretty cool watching Mike Autocross because I thought you're the guy that won the twenty four hours of the Daytona and he's out there with yeah, at, the point, at the bottom wrong, if you right? will, of uh, motorsports or autocrossing that a lot of people will trash, uh, but I think so important. But you're out there in your car getting practice because you're going to be running in this series. You and, know what, Manny? And, that uh, was, was pretty uh, impressive. Thank you. Because I take that as a compliment because it's really important as a driver. Uh, always learn. Never, ever stop learning. For me, it was the biggest light bulb. 
I started like when you saw me, I literally started after an entire career of road racing cars. I've thought like, man, I can drive a car, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I, I went, I did a PCA event. I did a Corvette, you know, I went out with the Corvette club, did their event. I'm like, man, it's like, these guys are really good, yeah. you know? And then I, I went out and I saw the pro solo guys go off the oh, SEC. Yeah. I was like, oh, whoa. Yeah. So I went to a driving school. Because that's first mm -hmm. thing. It's like, okay, you have to educate yourself. You must mm -hmm. learn. So I went out with uh, Michael Jr. Johnson. And Michael's a mag. He's one that of the. That is a driver's name if I've ever heard <laughs> of one. <laughs> yeah. Michael yeah. Jr. Johnson. Yeah, exactly. You're born to be a racer with that name. <laughs> Michael is born to be a racer. I'm telling you, there's a number of pro solo guys that are just hooked up. Yeah. I mean, they think the game. I didn't realize how slow I was until I went to a, a local. You know, SEC. SEC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I worked with him a little bit. I, I went from being P last. Forget like, you know, like I couldn't yeah. like, oh, I was like in the back of the field. And they're like, this yeah. guy, I thought this guy like one day toner or something. <laughs> yeah. like, hey, it's I'm a little different. I'm <laughs> telling you, I'm trying here. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. So finally, anyhow, fast forward, I ended up being like within the top three, which I was like, couldn't believe I was with like some of the best drivers yeah. in their C5 Corvettes in Lamborghinis. And like, but these are really, really good drivers. Mustang yeah. guys like putting amazing lap times down. These yeah. C5 Corvettes were not to be believed, the unlimited yeah. cars, yeah. but I could actually put some, I could have something for them. And I, I learned kind of quickly cause I took the education side of it very seriously cause I wanted to learn. You know, and I'm an, I'm a competitive person, but then I got to a race at, um, at mid Ohio in the rain and anybody that's driven mid Ohio in the rain, it's an ice skating rink. If you look at the surface, you, you can't walk on it. Okay. If you, if you look at, if you, if you think that the steering wheel is going to move, there's no grip. And I was, I've started out like P I was like P three in class. And I was like, maybe eighth overall from the kids in the front there's always like four 17 year olds that are fighting yeah. for the front end and then the second later come mere mortals yeah and porsche motorsport came over like you gotta really step it up <laughs> Seriously. Like, like they would always yeah. give me encouragement tell me yeah. you're better than this so like, stop it you're better like, than work, this work 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 and they're right i really had to work so i did a better job in setup i got my way up to like p5 and then for the race, I was really struggling in the rain. I would find myself like P7, and I about the second lap in, I thought, I got to autocross this. And I would go down deep in the carousel, get up behind the corner, look for the gray stuff, come out, and I'd find myself going a gear higher. Within like five laps, I'm P1. Nice. And I've, I've cleaned the field, and I've autocrossed it, and I gave it all to all. I called up Randy Popst. Afterwards, I was like, Randy. All these years of driving together, we drove together three or four years, okay? He never said the key to his success was autocrossing. That was it. He has no other key. I don't care. You can talk to him about racing. Oh, what have you done? He'll go, oh, I, I, I can, my accolades are that I drove GT3 RSRs. No, 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 no. He's really good at autocrossing, and it translates directly to the track. And to that point, when I'm out with autocrossers on a road course, and they're like, man, what do I do to go faster? I'm like, it's an autocross. Just treat it that way it's not different like get yeah. up behind the corner get your hands open go to the power and then they go faster the number yeah. one thing that i saw autocross did for me because that was the first thing i got into with autocross was learning a new track i could learn a new track in two laps 
because you have to learn a new course, right? Every course is different. Every course And is so different. all those little you know, um, tricks you use to learn a new course on autocross, you applied that to a track. And uh, the guys that were running with that weren't autocrossers, when we go to a new, like Putnam Park, um, they spent almost a whole day trying to understand the track. And within the first two laps, I knew left and right where to go. I put it all together thinking like an autocross. So, yeah, yeah I tell everyone who thinks, well, I'm only going to run for two minutes at an autocross. I'm going to spend all day. I'm like, yeah, but the skills you're going to learn over time will pay off when you go back to the track. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, I think the same thing for uh, for road racers. I know guy like Randy, who's a prime example, and others that come from autocrossing, their third lap is their best lap. Yeah, the tires lap. don't last that long anymore. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Mike, Mike, did, Mike didn't see it from uh, because I, if you do autocross, you take turns working the course. <laughs> and so when we were walk, working the course, and he would be on the course, he was so freaking fast that you know you're fast when the corner workers are suddenly positioning themselves behind the light pole because <laughs> 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 yes. all they see is this black turbo coming at yeah, full throttle, and, and it looks like he's about to launch off of the. You see him itch back like the. I was standing behind the light pole in case something happens. Yeah. All right, let's try something. We've got right. uh, Manny, Manny put together a number of questions specifically for 991 and 992s. So let's call this the lightning round. Um, so put it in your head. You're, we're talking about 991 and 992s. I'm going to ask you a question and just give us a quick drop of, you know, quick answers. All right, so 991, 992s. What are the most common mods? Number one, exhaust. Exhaust. Oh, tire, tire, and, tire wheels and exhaust. Uh, those are really number one. Okay, okay. Um, are there drawbacks to having your car flashed? Very little. Um, it depends on, um, who's writing the file, you know, and, um, because a lot of the software that's out there, really the Damos or the descriptor files that tell you what tables that are external that are tunable. Okay. They're typically in German, but if you, there are knock tables. So we look at, like, sometimes I'll read back somebody's tables, and we always leave the knock table stock because the Bosch knock system is magnificent. So even if you have too much ignition timing in your timing tables, your main table, your knock table will pull it out and save the car. But if you get greedy and you want to see the timing numbers not go away and keep your horsepower up on the dyno, you'll request less knock sensitivity. It can be sensitivity or knock count per cycle which pulls how many degrees per cycle so yes is the answer mm -hmm. okay because we tune that's my my second largest thing we we flash we keep boxes of tuners and we flash cars all the time but i keep it within the parameters of the stock a quality tune a quality tune matters quality tune matters all right think about the factory and what they're doing in 991 and 992s, he says. What about those cars cannot be improved? Huh. <laughs> uh, pretty much, I don't want to say everything, but you have to really think about the package. It really gets back to what I said to begin with. You're buying a Porsche because of the package. So to me, if you're, let's say, adding a little bit of performance value, like you'll see sometimes a car will be a 991 Turbo, 991.2 turbo, 992 turbo. So there, people are looking for the peak torque number, but but the peak torque is arriving at 2,500 RPM. Yes, it makes the car exciting when you're leaving a traffic light, but it hurts the rear tire. And in the rear world, both quarter mile racing, so whether you're drag racing, roll racing, road coursing, when the tire turns, the clock stops. That's it. You're done. It's over. Game over. You lost. 
Like when you're in a rate, when you're driving a race car and if you hurt the tire, even a turn off the corner, you're thinking, I just hurt the you're car. You're talking about wheel spin? Wheel spin. You lost grip. Yes. Yeah. That's not a good thing. So I tune the tur torque curve like the factory does. They typically will tune so that it looks more like an Atmo car. So your peak torque is not that far away from your peak horsepower. Now, that really carries into their GT2 type of model, but for their streetcar platform, they tend to make them pretty like uh, like a, a really a tabletop type of torque curve. Mm -hmm. But then in the aftermarket, you'll see a lot of people torque it up a little too much mm -hmm. to where, and what I try to go is that way. And then whether you're roll racing, drag racing, or road racing, that's improving your time. Because what matters is, is the way the crankshaft in the car accelerates as it's going up towards the red line where the horsepower is. Yeah. You know, that they got to follow together. That's what makes a, that's why a GT3 car is so bloody good is yeah. that the peak torque is like crazy high and so is the horsepower. Mm -hmm. All right. We talked about, you know, setting your baseline fluids, do the simple stuff first as a quote unquote mod. But after that level, in your mind, what's the best bang for the buck mod? It, it's all, you know what, we find that like the number, so we're really kind of getting back to the, the hierarchy. So people typically find like when they're first coming in, they've got an exhaust modification, they've got uh, wheels, tires, they've had a, an alignment at whatever, wherever. And so really the our first real thing that we're worrying about, they've already got usually those components on there. So I look at, okay, are they still fully catalyzed? Are they running really the components they need to, to at least keep the car within the factory limit? And then our next thing is our DSC sport controller, which we can then tune the chassis a little more. So if we're setting the car to be slight tight, we might change the low speed response of the damper to give us a little more front end. We might take a little bit of the low speed out of the bite out of the rear tire so you can get onto the power quicker and you don't get that revolution. So while I'm turning up the power, I'm also tuning the chassis. So it keeps going back to this circle of you got to have a package. Mm -hmm. A package. A package. I Even on drag racing, you'll see guys like with cars, they'll, they'll have Porsche cars. They'll, you'll see their 60-foot time, and it's like, it's not very good. Yeah. Okay, they're, Tons of power. They're, they can't put the power down. They can't put the, or the turbo is too lazy. Mm -hmm. The mile an hour at the end is good, but they're still running an 11-second quarter. You'll, you'll see a car running a 9 that's got less mile an hour, but his 60 foot time is no longer 1.6. It's 1.1. And he's clear. He's absolutely devastated that car and it would devastate her on a road course. Mm. So you you have to have the package. It keeps coming back to the package. Okay. Uh, uh, and I think we talked about this, but I would, I always tell people learn to drive the car, mm -hmm. meaning take a driving school. Oh. Uh, even if it's a, a Porsche driving school or using their cars Doesn't matter. Or, or driver's aid, but learn to drive. Cause you have all this horsepower and, and people it's uh no one wants to hear they're not a good driver, but you find that out when you do driver's ed, that you've got a lot of bad habits you've learned uh, by driving on the street and learning to properly drive the car uh, will help you communicate to someone like Mike as to what you want the car to do that the car is not doing. And then you get even a bigger bang for your buck on the mods. You know, that to that point, it, it really is that it's, it's really the basics. It's the learn, it's, it's education, education, education. And along with that, like right. And during this course, we'll usually introduce them to my son Harris at the shop. And Harris is really great on the data side. 
because that's his job at the racetrack. He, his job is he runs the racing program, the actual race program. I don't do that. But part of the race program, one of the biggest things, every car has data. Every car has a coach. Every car has an engineer because this is what makes a car go fast. And so we try to get people to wrap their head around it. So let me talk about this last modification. And let's say it pertains to 991s and 992s. And you see this a lot, especially in more flashy areas of the country where people will, you know, spend big money, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on wheels that are plus two, plus three sizes, and it has like a rubber band for a sidewall. Um, your thoughts on that? Well, again, that goes back to a lot of people aren't just thinking about the whole package. So things that people get hung up on or whether it's the width of the tire, I got a 21 or whatever, they're changing the sidewall, like you said. The biggest thing they're changing and the most important thing to a 911 is getting out of the corner and putting down the power, getting into the corner. So there's a reason that the Porsche will stagger their wheel sizes and their attention to detail on the circumference. So a wide tire takes longer to, to the, the patch will light up quicker. A short tire that's wide has a very narrow contact patch. Think about it. If you were to roll a car onto a glass workshop table and it had a short tire that was wide, you would get a skinny little long patch. Mm -hmm. It's going to light up pretty quick. Also, it goes away rather quickly. Mm. If it's narrower and it's short and it's skinny, but it doesn't have much horsepower, it's very friendly. You brake well, you accelerate. It's great when the tire's cold. And people are always trying, well, why is the car so good? Well, it's because you're optimizing the contact patch. If you buy a GT3 and it's got a 21 tire and it's got like a, a nice size white and it's a tall tire, now if you look under the car, it's got a really wide contact patch. It takes a little longer to light up. Might need a lap put into it to get that contact patch hot. And then if you go too wide with the tire, it takes too long to come on. And then you're not good on the first two corners because you're waiting for it. So sometimes you go narrower and taller. There's a balance. So to your point, you've got to be careful with what you're doing when you're outside of the range of the manufacturer. And the next big thing is, is a spring rate of the tire. Whenever I've done tire testings, I've done a lot of tire testing for Hoosier. And the biggest thing is, and they always hide it from me, they'll let me test like, let's say an entire day's worth of tire. They'll fill the back end of a truck. Okay. And each tire has a marking. It's got a, it's got a compound, it's got a spring rate, and then it's got an assignment of number that it likes and the deflection based at pressure. So they'll say, look, let's say you've got a 2,100 pound spring rate at exactly 30 PSI. There's a reason you have set up pressure. So to that end, your tire manufacturer is your friend. If they tell you that 30 PSI is your target pressure and you find out that Porsche, like you have an owner's manual for a GT3 and they say, hey, the optimum pressure is like 30, 38 PSI. And you find out the track people are saying, hey, the car runs really fast at 30. And I'm going like, it's the wrong spring rate. Because I know that if I'm testing a tire and I'm at 30 PSI, I'm at 2100. I'm at 2100. Um, if it's a 30 PSI tire pressure, which is two atmospheres, okay, two bar, then I might have a 2100 pound spring rate out of the tire. But if I'm at like 29 PSI, which is only one PSI different, okay? That means that I could be off by 200 pounds of spring rate. Ooh. So I'll get a little more grip off the corner. 
okay? But it also can mean a lot of times, like I'll balance my car. A lot of people wonder like, why am I like going fast? What am I doing? A lot of times I'll do what the manufacturer says on the back tire. So if they're hunting for 30, I'll hunt for 29 mm. right there. I just like to get grip. But if I want to get more grip out of the rear, I'll go 31, 32, 31 and a half in my front to give up a little bit to go to the back. Mm -hmm. So your tires are the most urgent point. There you go. Mm. Hey, Robert, you want to throw up the reminders for the newsletters. If you haven't signed up uh, for eBreak News, Mart Fresh News, Performance News, head over to PCA.org and sign up for our online newsletters. And uh, I think we've got one video to talk about this week. Uh, yes, the nicest Panamera 4S uh, that exists, most likely. I'm, I'm almost... 100% confident I can say that and it would be true. Yeah, um, <laughs> well, what I remember, I was supposed to drive this at Parade in Pocono yeah. before he, he cracked the windshield. Yeah, the windshield but he looked at yeah. me because I was wearing jeans and he says, you're not wearing those, are you? Yeah. And I look can't at wear him jeans. He, and he says, you can't wear jeans in my car because it makes stain the uh, the dye will uh, yeah. stain the seats. Yeah. It takes and a very you special... look at that and it's like a cream yeah. interior. Yeah. It oh. is perfect. It takes a special person to want to concord car with that color interior i mean it's like yeah. concouring two cars yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's so much uh, it gets great dirty look. great look yeah it great looks look. great i like it i can tell yeah. it gets it's dirty just car. sitting there yeah you know the ambient air gets it dirty yeah it's just so it's crazy. funny it's like i think twenty seven thousand miles when i drove it so like yeah. super low mileage and that is well, one of their main concourse it cars. is super low mileage but the thing is they drive it to and from yeah, parade. they still drive it. So all those miles are like some serious miles going to parades across the country. Yeah. Uh, they don't drive it, I guess, on a daily basis. Yeah, no, no, not, man, not that. And they've got, amazing. you know, other cars they can cycle in and out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, a first-gen Panamera, you can't go wrong with the naturally aspirated V8. Um, just a great all-round car. You know, it, it doesn't feel quite as new as, well, Porsche's newer cars. So yeah. it's, it's a little, not quite as sharp overall. But, you know, PDK from 2010... And, and that know, car is still great. Damon, you know what they say about Porsches in the racing circle? You know, when you're, it's like people ask you, like, what, what's the, what's the best Porsche race car? And I, the answer is so easy: the one they're about, the the, the one, one they're, the next one that's next coming one. out. Yeah, that's yeah, the best. Exactly. And then that is very true about Porsches. You know, they they age well usually, <laughs> and I think the Panamera, in my eyes, um, it's aged well both cosmetically, you know, aesthetically, and how it drives. I know not everybody would agree. Um, but yeah, it's the common theme is that the newer, the Porsche, usually, usually the better it is to drive for me, in my opinion. But you know? I agree. I mean, no matter. So I, I, if, get... I think if you talk about overall performance, it always yeah. gets better, but I think every era car yeah. has its unique personality. Oh, and just like the 87 slant nose you drove today, cars of today would run circles around in terms of performance, yeah. but that smell that feel when you grab that, you know, kind of thin rimmed steering wheel. And the Looking way you over shift, those look, fenders. Yeah, and the, just, but yeah. the driving experience is so, it's just as incredible driving that 87, driving right. it over here as when I was like in 1990 or something and getting into one of those cars. Mm -hmm. It's just as incredible yeah. Yeah. because the air, each one of these cars is like that. That's why yeah. it's a Porsche. Oh, that car will yeah. scare you. You take that on the back roads. Versus someone who's never driven a car like that and has a modern car with PSM. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, they drive th your car. That will scare the living daylights out of them. And it's uh, maybe like uh, 200 horsepower less 
oh, than yeah. their car, but because it has no stability, no uh, please save me features, it doesn't take yeah. much to scare you. Yeah, no. you should probably know something. So about me and how I like to drive is, um, you know, I'm a pretty mild driver overall. You know, just daily, I, I don't really take on ramps really quickly. But when I want to drive fast. The older cars just don't do it for me. The newer cars are just so much sharper, and, and that's what I like, and that's why the newer, the better, usually, personally. I'm, I'm, I'm personally exactly with you, Damon. Yeah. I mean, it's it's to me, I embrace the newest car because I understand where Porsche is going, I, because I their level of engineering, they just keep getting better, but the cars that were already created are already great. So I, I love driving some of the older cars because it reminds me of how good it is yeah. and then how good it can get. Yeah. And, and to that effect... Subjectively, they're all good. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all amazing. And that's one of the reasons I just ordered a 992T. It, it, it ships out like uh, this week yeah. and it'll be over here and I'm excited. To, so to like I told by. you on the phone yesterday, we want to follow you to the track and uh, as you get a baseline on this car. And see what you can do in a stock Carrera T, and then put them into Damon's Cape. No, <laughs> then go back again and see what you can do once your car has been modified, has a TPC touch to it, and yeah. see what the lap times are. Because it's one thing uh, being a Beltway Bandit and saying I drive oh, yeah. cars fast, but yeah. uh, lap times say everything. Yeah. So, oh, lap yeah. times they speak well, and also I go to the drag strip because that tells the tale. There's no doubt. I mean, when a guy goes at a drag strip, you see the 60 foot, the mile an hour is the horsepower. Yeah. I mean, that baby's the real deal. So I, I do. I'm doing the same in my car. If I'm not mistaken, your T is going to be spec'd with PDK. My T is spec'd. So here's what I did. I, I, I'm a purist at heart because I love the lightweight. It's to me the brand. Okay, so I can't get away from that because that's <coughs> why I love it. But I ordered the PDK transmission because I'm in love with the shifting. I mean, man, I don't care how far that baby, it's like when it goes tick, They're tick. Good. Yeah. It's, and when you're coming out of a corner and you touch the paddle, it doesn't upset the tire. Hold on, let's, yeah. let's let that set in. A Rolex winning, Grand M winning person <laughs> loves the PDK transmission so much for himself. And I know you can row gears. <laughs> I can row gears. There's no doubt. And I tell you what, uh, we used to look at the data in my 996 car that I won the uh, 24 hours in and I can pull a we can shift the H box with just about as good a speed as a PDK, really close, but only narrowly. Like you got like maybe a half a tenth per pull. Mm -hmm. But when you count up 20, 30, 40 pulls in a lap, this adds up. I mean, yeah. you can, <laughs> and we're practically flat shift in the box. Yeah. And wow. uh, so it would matter when the, when they came to, but the sequential, was only so good until the latest Ricardo box. But getting outside of that, so I ordered the PDK transmission. Um, I did the carbon seats. Nice. Because it uh, comes on the T. You can big order. weight savings. Oh, uh, big, big weight savings. A lot of grip inside the car. Safe yep. airbags. Got airbags. Love the safety. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. the cars keep getting bigger. They're getting bigger because they handle better and they're safer. Yeah. Um, so I got the seats, which also eliminates the rear seats, which is weight. And... Um, I also ordered the rear steering nice. because uh, yeah. the what it does going into the high-speed corners versus the autocrossing is just yeah. fabulous. Did you order ceramics for that car, or was that not available? I don't think it wasn't available. No. I looked. Uh, if it was, I don't know. I had to weigh the difference. And you got to remember, when I when I bought the car, I traded in my GT4 RS, which, <laughs> oh, is, wow. an, which is an allocation I got from Motorsport. You know, for being in the series, yeah. But 
And I love the car. Nothing from it. Great car. But the T, I'm looking forward. It's got the injectors and the baseline of all the 992 Turbo. We're going to slowly tune it lightly. We're going to do chassis work, DSC. We're going to put bigger turbos on it, intercoolers. We're going to do it properly, but not with the, the what you're seeing on a mail order basis. We're going to tune that to like 600 horsepower at the tire, oh, and it's going to have a tremendous chassis. We'll have data in it from day one, so everything we do will be relevant. I was just about to say, the Carrera T is all the car you need. Oh, wait. Just wait. I'm so excited about the T. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm like a kid again. I'm like a kid. What color did you get it in? Silver. 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 The way I see it is maybe somebody buys a T, you know, who's who's done well for themselves, but not well enough to afford a, a you know, a GT3 or get an allocation or a GTS. And then, you know, as they progress in their career, make a little more money, they can mod it and... Is that kind of a nah? You're, seeing, you're just nah, throwing it just, all at nah. it, getting a T. Because I tell you what, I've got a GT3. I've yep. got a 2022 GT3, a magnificent car. It's our race car with a with a license tag and a carpet set in it. Okay, not a good everyday car. Yep. Magnificent, yes. When we're done with the T, it'll get better mileage. Mm. It'll drive nicer. It's got AC. It's got all that. I'll drive it to the track. Yep. I'll have a and it'll be faster. So you're starting with the the lightest, most performance-oriented model and then just yep. building it up to yep. craziness. Yep. Okay. And have fun because I love having fun with the nice. brand. Nice. I can't wait to. Yeah. Well, Ooh, I hope you follow that. So, <laughs> Hey, Manny, do you think you can get us uh, through the news in a few minutes here? That's up to you. Let's do it. Bang it. Let's see. Penske. So Penske's going with the, um, Mike can relate to this, with a four-driver team for Daytona. Uh, usually they've done a three-driver dream, but they looked in the past, and all the winning teams were using four-driver cars. So now they're doing uh, four themselves. So it's going to be an interesting, obviously, uh, a lot of eyes on them this year for the 24 hours. And I think based on last year's performance, uh, Porsche has a very good chance uh, for uh, perhaps winning the 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Not hey. an easy race for them, though. Huh. And yeah. Mike, being a past winner, knows as much as you try, all it takes is one person to turn in on you, and your whole uh, your whole race has changed quite a bit. The next item has to do with EVs, but before we get into the details of it, Mike, have you had much experience driving, say, the Taycan, or what are your thoughts about the upcoming I EVs have. I've, I, when the Taycan first came out, before they announced the turbo model, I drove the Taycan, and um, yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, I thought platform-wise, uh, I couldn't believe the chassis is to die for. The car did everything great, and I was like, wow, this is pretty darn impressive yeah. i mean i was blown away and i had passengers and it's only and to get better that's what's crazy yeah People it even did everything that. it slid yeah. the front end up to the corner it's amazing all that weight works yep. great car all right and this uh news item we're talking about yeah stations? for porsche i think we're saying they, they won't they would never switch to tesla uh, uh ports they are going to be switching uh the vw group and uh vw audi porsche they're all uh adding the tesla uh, ports so they can use their superchargers. That's big. That's big. Yeah, that's, that's big. It's a the good most reliable because, system, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's what. Yeah. Uh, why a lot of people buy Teslas because yeah. they have an incredible uh, uh, supercharging network. But the one thing I didn't include because Damon hadn't written the article yet was the tri-motor, the Taycan GT that we've been showing the spy shots oh, yeah. uh, at the Newburgring. Turn, what was it, Damon, a 707? 707.55. What? Two seconds behind a GT4 RS. No, yeah. 707 yeah. in That's a Taycan. That's stupid. And we don't know if it's a tri-motor. We can assume it's a tri-motor. If it isn't, then, oh, my God. what motor it is. Yeah. I, I would bet it is the yeah. GT. Well, here's uh, my th- thing is, is that Tesla with a tri-motor, tri-motor is heavier. 
I wouldn't be surprised if, if Porsche did a two-motor setup and just optimized two motors. But, I mean, that's it's all that's, speculation. I like yeah, how so. they, they, they modified. They put uh, race seats in it and a cage. Yep. Which, yeah. to me, uh, they might have been a little heavier. It might have been, Depending yeah, on the, the cage, cage, you know. Um, but but uh, I, I want to know. I would love to have them at Tech Tactics, someone from Porsche. Talk about a car to run against the Plaid. Well, it beat the oh, Plaid. It beat the Plaid? It beat the Plaid. Plaid was seven twenty five. I so believe it. Uh, it beat the uh, Rimac too. Yeah, and they have a, they yeah, have um, they have uh, uh, an investment in Rimac. So I, I would love to find out from Porsche how much it. it there's got to be some crossover technology between Rimac sure. and Rimac. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing. So it what right. will this be? Rimac. This will be the Taycan. Well, they're they're unofficially calling the, it the GT. Right. It's, okay. It was meant to go against the Plaid as far as. Uh, have you seen the Plaid uh, autocross? No, I know you're talking. Unbelievable. Yeah, least, I mean, I I see Model Three's performance is autocross. It's like we're watching a radio controlled cargo. Yeah, it's, it's, like, a, it's a radio controlled. Yeah, we've, so, uh, <laughs> we've seen a Model Three on Hoosiers, right? At the autocross, now you, you've driven the Nurburgring a number of times, Mike. What does seven oh seven mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> I would. Hey, you are a pro driver. Yeah, you know what? You know <laughs> that's what? A, that's, I have an an immense amount of respect. That is so off the chart, and for an electric like that is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Lars Kearns. Or Lars Kern. Seven oh seven. So I, I have a GT two, and I drove that at uh, at the ring, yeah. and we had we had a pack between my son and I. We we went there as a father son event. It was unbelievable. Nice. I remember Best that. event ever. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and our pack was nobody goes over two hundred. It was either two hundred or two hundred and fifty kilometer. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you come out of the corner <laughs> two hundred, you don't go any faster. Oh, we yeah. just because. Yeah. But I I went on a six second lap in a VLN car. As a passenger, you're not so, and I did yeah. that. We were in the sixes along yeah. with a along with a caution. Six minute, yeah. yeah. Oh wow, oh, that's crazy. Oof. Well, j- just for a little bit of a, uh... but sevens are so unbelievable, it's so yeah. off the wall. Yeah, yeah. R- the Rimats Nevera seven oh five point two. So it's that has what twelve hundred or sixteen hundred horsepower. Two seconds behind that. Okay, I thought they beat it, but it's very yeah. close. But to the it, fact that it's two seconds behind yeah. a car with like more than double the horsepower, yeah. I think. Yeah, but the discipline, you think about it, you know, everybody thinks about this as a number, okay? And you think about my GT2, you think about the Performante, you think about all these other cars with huge engines that have incredible top speed. But an electric car isn't really great at those kinds of numbers. So to have this car going at that type of speed is really a a bigger achievement than what you even give it credit for. That's pretty unbelievable. It maxes out probably at 160 or 170. Well, the Mike's point, I I think they they were really working on the chassis. Yes. Yeah, I think all those spy shots that's all, my, all during the summer, that's what they were really... You nailed it. You yeah, nailed it. Every, that car's chassis. Yeah, because yeah. Porsche is more than just uh, oh, yeah. fast line straight. They, yeah. It's a whole, like you said, when I first drove a Taycan, I thought, this is a Porsche. Yeah. There's no doubt. You totally. My take, take, I couldn't even imagine that. I drove a standard Taycan. I couldn't imagine what they were going to come up with because, yeah. to me, that car handled magnificently. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was shocked by. Yeah. It accelerated great. Plenty of that, and the handling was unbelievable. Yeah. So that car's got to be all chassis. Yeah, we got to think about the the poor tires as well oh, the, to do that. The punishment those tires <laughs> well, on a forty five hundred yeah. pound car. Can you imagine? And... Have you ever stood by the ring and just listened to them test these cars? The howling as it goes through Adenau. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I've never been. But, oh, but yeah, if you it's have crazy. some uh, spare space in your suitcase, I'll jump oh, in. I'll bring and... you along. Yeah, you'll come with us. <laughs> all right, let's get to the PCA events. We have Tech Tactics East coming up. February 24th and 25th. Registration opens January 17th. Uh, we have Works Reunion Amelia Island coming March 1st. Registration has already opened. The judge slots for uh, 
cars are already sold out, but we've got plenty of room in the uh, corral area. So make sure you sign up there. We have the Treffin Wine Country event, which is April 21st to the 25th. Registration for that opens January 10th. Where's well, that? Where is it? Uh, Treffin Wine Country. Napa, Sonoma. Napa, Napa Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Yep. What time of the year? When is it? April 21st. 21st through 25th. So that's Sunday yep. through Monday this time. Not, yep. the, not the usual Thursday or Wednesday exactly. through Sunday. And uh, on the East Coast this year, we will have Porsche Parade in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, it's June. Uh, registration for the first phase opens March 1st. Of course, uh, Treffin at Sea, we've announced that we're heading to uh, Treffin at Sea in Alaska, and we've already have up to 600 people oh, registered wow. for that cruise. Already. And How many does the ship hold? Uh, the ship holds 3,500. You're but, taking a third of the, taking, you're, yeah. you're, a, you're a quarter yeah. of the ship. I think we'll yeah. get to a That's thousand. crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. How many do we need to get the whole ship? I think 1,500. That's what's weird. That's 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 spread the word. Yeah, spread so the you're word. spreading it right now. I think you're going to fill <laughs> yeah. the ship. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to kick everybody no, else No off. one's answered my yeah. question. Is, is there icebergs up there at that time of year? Oh, I got it. Probably. Yeah. There's always icebergs. Yeah. Icebergs, don't, icebergs, icebergs don't go away and come <laughs> back seasonally. Yeah, never That's what they said about the white star line, too. We do this all the time. They just go away. Now, here in uh, the East Coast here, we're about to get some weather. So most Porsches are probably put away. So if you're not out driving your car, make sure you check out PCASimRacing.com. Not my Macan. Well, your Macan, yeah. I'm going out in the snow. I can't wait. There you go. We have gone way over, and I hope that uh, you don't mind because I knew our time with Mike would be a lot of fun, and we've learned a lot. And, Michael, congratulations on your new facility. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I know how you know, how long you stayed at the existing facility and to say that, you know, how you tight it was for you and how you always needed more room. And I know for you to build the beautiful facility that you have now, that must mean you have big plans for the future for TPC racing. We do. Brand new building. We do. Brand Brand new new building. building. Oh yeah. No, we've got a 40,000 square foot motorsport park. We've got uh, some great people joining us. We've got a motor group that's going to have 9,000 square feet of exotic cars doing sales. We're going to have a detailing group taking up 6,000 square feet. We've got a rental car company coming in, and we're really excited. We can showcase what we do. We have the proper facility, but this is something I've dreamed about since I had my Shell gas station of doing it. I knew when I was looking, when I was staring through the gates at Daytona when I was a kid in college, that's what I want to do. Congratulations. And I've always yeah, followed my dreams. The boys yeah. gave me some flack. Well, how come you didn't come back with photos? Well, I was like, you literally just moved in, and I can't wait till everything's has been put into its place and you have a grand opening. We're going to be there to enjoy and cut the ribbon. And that was like, you built a straight up, I mean, there was nothing there when you started. No. Oh, no, no. Yeah. That was a dirt lot. Dirt Rob, lot. Does Robert put those up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, Robert, can you? Yeah. I tell you what, that was a dirt lot. There were a couple of sparse little trees hanging out. And, um, yeah, it took a lot of site work. And, and this is not even year. the side where there's a lot of parking. So it's going to be a perfect place for us to have cars and coffee. Yeah, no, the back <laughs> lot the back lot is 120 feet wide by 550 <laughs> <Yeah>. long. <laughs> and it's basically a truck That's going to be a shock to your driver because usually your tractor trailer somehow squeezed in that little spot. <laughs> but, is that unbelievable? I had two trailers in there, Manny. Yeah. Wow. I had two trailers. The other one was hidden. It was really a storage facility. <laughs> How did you hide it? Right? Yeah, it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't hard it's because crazy. it was hidden behind all the other cars. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. If you aren't currently a PCA member and own a Porsche, what are you waiting for? Grab that VIN, head over to PCA.org and check out PCA's test drive program if you don't have a Porsche yet. I also want to remind you, if you'd like a PCA Insider decal, send a note over to podcast at PCA.org and we'll get you a set so that you can place it on your laptop, your car, so on and so forth. Yes, you know Mike. what? I want to say one thing about being a PCA member. It's one of the one of the greatest things I've done getting involved with cars. I became a PCA member so long ago. I was working in nights at Auto Authority in the evenings working with Al Collins. I was working on the dyno doing development work for Mazda because I had a Mazda race program and I became a PCA member back then. There you go. And I think I told him that I had a 911. You didn't have to tell him. <laughs> yeah. But then I bought a 911 SC and it's been the greatest experience because of one real thing, the people. Yeah, the people absolutely. have been amazing. I've met everybody here through the cars. Everything that I've done in life has been through the people, and I'm very appreciative of that. So I say if you're not a member, you're listening to the podcast, you really should think about becoming absolutely. a member. We say it yeah. all the time here Always. How, how our lives would be vastly different think if about there was it. no PCA. Oh, yeah. I would have saved a lot of money. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's not PCA's fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at all the blame it on yeah. your. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! It took me down this rabbit hole. Yeah. This is right. Exactly. This is a scary Saints. deal. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. You could end up makes, sitting in this seat. I mean, it's yeah. yeah, exactly. And also, be sure to remember to follow our podcast Instagram page, behind the scenes photos, Porsche Club Insider, all one word. Again, if you ever want to send us an email, send it to podcast at pca dot org. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to YouTube. Help us get to a hundred thousand subscribers. And that's it, folks. Until next time, stay safe, and we'll catch you down the road. <laughs>